reading is taken today from Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 34. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and he will stand over to the Gentiles and to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked asked a favour of him. What is it you want? he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant, and the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Jesus, as the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's wonderful to uh, be here with you this afternoon as a, I'm sure, deeply inadequate stand-in for Mark Harris, who has been bringing a series over the last few weeks. Uh, And can I also say that it's a a delight to work with Mark and with Claire and with Alison, who's there at the back, in your party, Christians in Parliament group. We are well blessed uh, with their wonderful service. So let's have a look at this passage from Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 34. And just a quick recap, that uh, we are approaching the final days of Jesus' ministry, and the disciples, these 12 chosen men, have been with him for three years, going through perhaps the best apprenticeship that anyone has ever had on this planet. We talk a lot about apprenticeships in the House of Commons. I don't think too many young people enjoy an apprenticeship like this. They saw him, were with him as he was teaching, as he was healing, raising people from the dead, walking on water. And uh, one of my favorite miracles, and something as a farmer's son from Devon, that means a lot to me, when he persuaded, when he commanded the wind and the waves to obey him. And one of the disciples says, who is this? And you can picture it, can't you? Well, what an apprenticeship. But now here we are, just a few days to go before he is betrayed and handed over. And in verses 18 and 19, very explicit 
with his disciples, it's interesting, over the three years, he slowly unfolds why he has come. It's almost as though they couldn't handle it all up front. And, and they are slowly catching on as to what it's all about, but perhaps in just the same way as we would be, they didn't quite get it. And even now, as we'll see in a moment, they didn't quite understand what he was saying to them. But he says in verse 18 and 19, going to Jerusalem and the Son of Man, and that's him, of course, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and we will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and, and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. You couldn't have been more explicit than that. And, that, and just after that um, remarkable exposition or explanation of what was going to happen, we see this extraordinary request from James and John and their mum. Now, I'm sure some of us have had experience of pushy mums in the outside the school gate or the school sports day or maybe the local pony club. There's nothing quite as formidable as a pushy mum. And here she is, the mum of James and John, and they kneel in front of Jesus and they're asking for an extraordinary thing. Grant that one of these two sons of mine, she says, may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. What are they seeking? Prestige, power, position. Just after he had explained what was about to happen to him, they're asking for something completely out of keeping with what he's just said. And I do ask myself the question, what, what did they have in mind in terms of kingdom? Did they think this was going to be some kind of earthly takeover, throwing over the Roman oppression? And Jesus being the new king of Israel, what picture was in their mind? Perhaps it was an attempt by James and John to get one over on Peter. After all, it was the three of them that were the inner cabinet in those days. They went up to the mountain to see the transfiguration. They were there in the room when Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. The three of them perhaps sparring for position. Well, we are in a place today, aren't we, that, uh, where, where ambition is not unknown. And right now in our own party, as there is the, uh, the uh, very real prospect of a leadership election in the Conservative Party, I know for sure that conversations are going on all over the Palace of Westminster. And people are asking for things. Can I sit at your right hand? Can I sit at your left hand? And I've known some leadership candidates in the past who have made so many offers that if they had one, they would end up with three foreign secretaries and four chancellors. I can real well remember, and I think Roger Freeman here was in the cabinet at the time in 1994, a reshuffle day. I was a young member of parliament, been here two years, and I had decided it was time that I got promoted. And in those days, no smartphones, no pages, no, nothing like that. What wonderful days they were. <laughs> I sat by my phone, I literally sat by my phone all day long. I got in early. 7.30, just in case Downing Street ran quickly. And sat by my phone until about 7 o'clock at night, until we'd heard on the grapevine that the reshuffle was completed. And it, my phone rang once during the day. It, it was my wife saying, have you heard anything? I said, no, get off the line quickly, Downing Street might be coming. We know about ambition in this place. 
Or then, James and John, please, can we be your chief lieutenants? And he says to them very gently, I think, look, you've no idea what you're talking about. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Can you follow me uh, to the cross? And they said they could. Uh, but they had no idea what he was talking about. And of course, Jesus says, well, actually, you can. And in the end, you will, because almost all of his disciples were martyred for their faith in the years to come. Now, the other disciples, when they see what's going on, they were indignant. And I wonder why they were so indignant. Perhaps Peter was indignant because he hadn't thought of it himself. There was volatility there. Perhaps the fear of being outmaneuvered. And then we come in verse 25 to the essence of this passage. Jesus calls them together. And he says this. Basically, he says, there are two types of kingdom. You're talking about the values of the kingdom of this world, of the, if you like, right way up kingdom. And I'm telling you that the kingdom I'm going to bring in has a different set of values altogether. The right way up kingdom, power, he says, this, it's how it is. The gentle, Gentiles lord it over them. And the high officials exercise authority over them. And we know about that, don't we? People exercising power for their own sakes. Exercising power. Lording it over others. Just the last century. The examples of people who came into positions of power and lorded it over others and did everything they could simply to retain that power. Just think of these names. Hitler, Stalin, Mao, Franco, Castro. The right way up kingdom is all about greatness for its own sake, for power, prestige, position, recognition, power for its own purposes throughout history. This is who we are, human nature. It's inside all of us. At every level, give anyone a tiny amount of power and how often we see them misuse it and lord it over other people. And for those of us of my generation, we can remember growing up with one boxer proclaiming that I am the greatest. And of course, some of you will know the great, he was great. Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, he, that was what he said every time he was interviewed. I am the greatest. Kit values of the old kingdom, the right way up kingdom. And then in verse 20, <laughs> I think it's 26, my glasses have just gone a bit funny. Jesus says this, that's the old way of doing things. Those are the old values and these wonderful, beautiful four words. Not so with you. Not so with you. He was about to bring in this new kingdom through his death and resurrection. It was the upside down kingdom with different values. Where greatness was about serving. Where the values were different. Where the essential core quality of a person, a member of the new kingdom, was to love God with all their heart and their neighbour as themselves. And he says in verse 26 and verse 27, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. An upside-down kingdom, putting others first, seeking the good of others, 
using power and authority to do good. And those of us who love Jesus in this chapel today, we live in the United Kingdom, we also live in the Kingdom of God. And we try to live, don't we, by the values of the Kingdom of God. Now, how is it possible? How is it possible for us to live like this? Well, it's possible for a number of reasons. First of all, it's exactly what Jesus did. Now, where was Jesus before he was born? What was he doing? Well, Hebrews 1 verse 2 says this. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, who he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. That famous passage in John, chapter 1 verse 2. Through him, Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus has been with God for eternity. And in a way that I will never understand, perhaps some of you do. It was through Jesus, as the word of God, that the universe, our universe, our world was made. Now surely this is true greatness and power and majesty and glory. And he was prepared to give it all up. To come to earth as a vulnerable baby to save us. And I don't know why I have this picture in my mind of the impressive angel Gabriel. Who when he was talking to Zechariah says, he describes himself by saying, I stand in the presence of God. What a wonderful thing able to say. Not many of us would be standing in the presence of God. And I wonder when Gabriel first got wind of this, this plan throughout eternity that Jesus, the Son of God, the powerful majesty, the Son of God, was going to come to the planet. I can just hear him saying, permission to speak, sir. Is this such a great idea? Have you seen what these humans are like? Do we really want the Son of God? give up his utter power and glory to be born in humility and poverty. But he did. He came 2,000 years ago and that was a living demonstration of the principle he now explains to his disciples. True greatness means service. The service of others. Personal cost and inconvenience. Maybe with no recognition or reward. That is the upside down kingdom. Not so with us. We are to be different. And there are examples, of course, we all know them. I'm sure some of you are such examples of people in every church and community, every part of the country, quietly serving others. But how is this really possible? We know what's in our hearts. I, I know that uh, over the 27 years of being a member of Parliament, sometimes you can't help it. You come across people in dire need and you just maybe do something give them some cash or whatever you might do, just to help them on their way. And you think, well, and I always say, and you must tell no one. And part of me thinks, but wouldn't it be great if they wrote a little letter to the local paper to say, our MP is so wonderful. No, no, I don't think that. That in all, and that, you know, in all of us, it's hard to live by these upside down values in our own strength. Of course, we can look at Jesus and try and copy his example. I know that uh, during my career here, I've, there's a couple of people I've looked at and thought, they are really good at their job. I, I want to try and be like them. And William Hague is one of those. William Hague, who's such a great orator, such a clever man, 
And there's a man sitting in this chapel today, and I wondered if he'd be here, James Mackay, Lord Mackay. I had the privilege of working for Lord Mackay in about 1996. It seems an awfully long time ago. One of the cleverest men in the country, and one of the loveliest men in the country. And I remember at the time thinking, I want to try and be more like Lord Mackay. So we can try to copy Jesus, we can learn from his example, but you know, if that's all we are doing, we're missing the essential point. We are not capable of simply obeying new rules, trying to be good, seeing Jesus as an example, as an example and trying to copy him. What does he say in verse 28? He gave his life as a ransom for many. It was a spiritual transaction. Friends, this is the heart of the gospel. That he took our punishment for us. Not just physical pain on the cross, but separation from his father. He had never been separated from his father. God turned his back on Jesus when he hung on that cross and took our punishment in our place. God is just, so there had to be a punishment for our sin. He couldn't just ignore it. Ignore it. And God loves us so utterly so he decided to take the punishment himself by sending Jesus, his son, the only sinless man who ever lived, to be a ransom for many. It was a spiritual transaction. And he has done all necessary to reconcile us to God. So when we believe in him, he's done everything. All we need to do is to believe in him. And then we receive the Holy Spirit who begins to change us from the inside. So how can we embrace these upside-down values in the upside-down kingdom? How can we live to serve others? It's by changing and becoming more like Jesus as we worship him, as we pray to him, as we talk to him, as we read his word. He is changing us. Even my wife has noticed in the last 10 years, I've been married 40 years, she said to me the other day, I think you're changing. I think you're getting nicer. This is good news, guys. It can be done. But as we get close to Jesus, so we are changed. And we can learn to serve others for its own sake, not just in the hope that they might write a letter to the Plymouth Evening Herald. So what about all of us? Are you living truly in the upside-down kingdom? Coming to a conclusion, Claire. Are you serving for serving's sake? Am I? Am I using whatever authority I might have for the good of others? Am I being changed by Christ as I worship him and reading his word? So a reminder this afternoon, dear friends. We live in an upside-down kingdom. It's not all about me. True greatness is to serve. And we can do this because he did it first. He came from heaven to serve and to die a ransom for many. And he is changing us to become more like him. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for the power of it, for the truth of it. Thank you that you are involved in our lives and you're changing us to become more like Jesus. 
so that we might understand true greatness is not to rule it over others, to lord it over others, but to serve, become a slave. Help us to draw close to you and understand this fully. In the name of Jesus. Amen.